Welcome to the Zenov Podcast. You're listening to our Business Resilience Series, where we bring to you conversations between eminent industry stalwarts and thought leaders from across the globe as they discuss their insights on overcoming challenges and the mindset that helps them navigate the journey of crisis, resilience, and growth. Hello, everyone. What the heck to do with my life? This is a question that we all ask ourselves once in a while, and more so during the last two years of the pandemic. What the heck to do with my life is a title of a fascinating book written by a best-selling author, Ravi Venkateshan, founder of Global Alliance for Mass Entrepreneurship, and I'm Pari Nadrajan, and I'm your host today. Ravi Venkateshan is a business leader, author, a social entrepreneur. Ravi was the chairman of Microsoft India, Bank of Baroda, and Cummins India, and was voted as one of India's best management thinkers by Thinkers50, and as Microsoft's alumni hero in 2020. He's currently UNICEF's special representative for young people and innovation. Uh, hello, Ravi. Welcome to Zeno Podcast, the Business Resilience Series. It's great to have you here. I'm looking forward to picking your brain on the various thought-provoking themes you have covered in the book. Hi, Pari morning. It's terrific to be back in conversation with you. So thank you for inviting me today. Uh, without further ado, uh, let's dive into the questions. And Ravi, why did you choose to write your book, What the Heck to Do with My Life? I like to repeat that title name. This is a question that I have struggled with over the years. Um, with unfailing regularity, about once every 10 years, the question has popped up forcing me to th think through uh, my choices and my life. And then I decided to start um, giving some small talks about it, writing about it about a decade ago. And the kinds of issues that I embedded there found huge resonance, huge, with uh, a wide cross-section of people. So an article on similar themes in the Economic Times had more than a million readers a decade ago. Uh, one particular LinkedIn post um, uh, in, by I think, late 2015 or 16 got uh, two and a half million uh, views and it's still fresh. And so I realized, look, I'm not the only one struggling with this. And certainly over the years, it seems to be a bigger question and for more people at every life stage. And so I said uh, that somewhere, uh, you know, it's probably there's probably a um, a book in here. Not that people read books, but it's a good way to organize one's own ideas. Now, the timing was merely fortuitous. It was actually supposed to be out in 2020. And uh, I took a lot longer to get my uh, own clarity and, uh, and writing done. So it appears like it's uh, a COVID uh, book, but it isn't. It's just uh, a coincidence. But it turns out that I think um, COVID has caused a lot more of us to think about the question and introspect. And so the timing couldn't be better. And one of the themes in your book is um, how mindset is the app of your life. So what are the big insight around mindset and how has it changed in your, in your lifetime? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually... Um, have that chapter very early. It's chapter two. It's the most substantive foundational one. And the reason is, uh, you know, over the years, I've been thinking, Pari, about why some people achieve and accomplish so much 
and much more than we would have thought they're capable of. Conversely, I look back at some of the astonishingly talented, bright people I've met in my life. And, you know, many of us used to think that they're going to set the world on fire. And they didn't really accomplish as much as they, they were capable of. I look at this issue of why does somebody who has everything, why are they so miserable? Why does somebody who has nothing to be thrilled about so joyous? Okay. Uh, I also look at the issue uh, where increasingly the world is filled with polarizing uh, leaders and false news and presented with the same data. Why do intelligent people come to such different conclusions? So these are all very interesting questions. And I, through my reading, conversations, and my own thinking, concluded that the biggest reason for all these is what is called mindset. And mindset is sort of a shorthand for you know, the assumptions we have, the beliefs we have, the stories we may have in our um, subconscious, mostly, about everything, about the world. How does the world work? Is it fair? Is it unfair? Um, you know, why are we here? It, it is about each other. Is Pari a good person? Uh, what does success look like? What is failure? Am I capable of something, not capable of something? We have a million stories about all these things and many, many more. I use two metaphors. One is that the iceberg is under the surface. We don't even know these things. It's in the subconscious. The uh, other metaphor I use is that of malware, which is we go through life attracting all this and it's all clogging up our thinking and without us even realizing it. And so what happens is we look at life, not objectively, but through the prism of these assumptions and stories and beliefs and so forth. And so I, I, give, I start out by say, uh, with a quote from Bill Gates who says, what you believe is what you achieve. And 100 years before Bill, Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or whether you think you cannot, you're right. I, I thought both of these are just fantastic. Okay, so it goes down, uh, it, it therefore comes down to say, uh, saying, look, what are my beliefs and assumptions? Which of them are actually true, which of them are actually helping me accomplish things uh, and contributing to my satisfaction and happiness, and which are not. And, and uh, it's it's great that, you know, on some, some level, it looks like it's something an individual can control. And mindset is something, it's, it's in our control, it's not dependent on somebody else. But people find it very hard to change that mindset. Why is that? And what is, uh, and how do you, how do you change that? Look, it's this is sort of very, very deep-seated. It's our fundamental beliefs about ourselves and the world. And that, that's why it's even when you become aware of it, it is so hard to change. So I give an example, for instance, of being, over the years, a fairly chronic pessimist. Okay? That's, that wasn't a conscious decision I made. It gradually happened over the years. And I would always see the glass half empty. Any achievement, I would find the flaw in it. Somebody comes and says, you know, I've done such a fabulous job. And I'd say, yeah, but quickly point out what else they could have done, <laughs> what more they could have done. And then by the time I turned about my early 40s, I realized this is not very good. People are not very attracted towards people, others with a negative orientation. As a manager, it's completely painful 
to work for somebody who only points out what you haven't done. So for all these reasons, I said, look, I better change. And I came across a a wonderful book called Learned Optimism. And it points out that, look, there's actually a very precise uh, set of things that happens with a pessimist. When something bad happens that they don't like, they tend to assume the worst case. They assume it's forever. And they assume it's personal. They say, why is this happening to me? And so when something bad happens, you catch yourself. You become aware. You become conscious of your reaction. Look, it, the worst case may not happen. Maybe I'll get, it'll actually be much smaller dent in the road than otherwise. Number two, nothing's forever. This too shall pass. And hey, it's just random. It's not deeply personal. And so by practicing this over the years, you become less pessimistic, more optimistic. I can tell you, I've gone from like two out of 10 to about a seven out of 10 on an optimism scale. Wow. So it it is possible to change. And you are a great example of being able to change yourself from a pessimist to optimist. And if we dive into a bit more in the book, one of the other aspects you talk a lot about is um, leadership being the the most important skill for the future. It could be it could be an individual. You don't have to be truly a leader of a company or a country and so on. For every individual, leadership skill is very important. Can you explain why you feel that? Okay. So um, there's a whole chapter on leadership. And I start out by saying the biggest challenge of our times is lack of leadership. So you look at the, you know, at the world, we have huge problems like climate change. Uh, You look at the country, any country, whether you're living in the US and listening to this podcast from there or or some, uh, you know, Europe or India, each of our countries has giant problems. In India, for instance, we have huge issues around poverty, around health, extraordinary inequality, lack of jobs, whatever. You look at your own organization, there are both opportunities and challenges. And the interesting thing is, Where we are at this moment in time is we have the technology for solving most of these issues. We have resources in abundance. The world is awash with cash, particularly after COVID. Uh, Number three, uh, we have tons of talent. These problems are solvable. What's missing is leadership that is bringing together people to go address uh, these issues in a decisive way. And so the, the issue is, why are we so starved for leadership? And I think the answer I've come to is that we have a very outmoded idea of what who is a leader. And we've too often we're confused about position and title. So we say, oh, he's a vice president or she is a minister or something of that sort. They have a big title. They have formal authority. They must be a leader. And we're waiting for them to act on these issues. And they don't because they have no incentive to. So I say, look, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to, you know, as a country, as an organization, or if we're going to flourish as human beings, we need to have a very different concept of leadership where uh, leadership is a verb. It's an act. And anybody and everybody is capable of acts of leadership. You don't need any formal mandate, power, title in order to act like a leader. So I talk about this young boy who's 11 years old, Rehan Sheikh, who lives in a municipal garbage dump in Ahmedabad and is doing stunning things in, for his community. 
I talk about my neighbor in Bangalore, uh, who's a homemaker called Padmashree, and the way she's become sort of the leading citizen activist and waste warrior of, uh, of Bangalore. This is the model of leadership, and everybody is capable of it. And therefore, because it's in such short supply, if you are able to lead by influence in the, in the ways I'm talking about, this is the defining skill. You don't worry about uh, having to find the next job or opportunity. People are going to come to you. Opportunities are, come, are going to come to you. So this is the most important, the uber skill for success. It's uh, very interesting. And, but they, they don't teach this in school. You had to go to uh, Harvard to learn leadership. What about making that a math or, or art class in, 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 in kind, from kindergarten? Yes, absolutely. You're right, um, Pari. One of the things we are doing in both my own organization called Game, as well as with my work with UNICEF, is uh, we're trying to see how we can intervene uh, with young people from the toughest socioeconomic backgrounds, the poorest government schools, and how do you engage them to build up their leadership capability? And you don't talk leadership because they won't identify with that. But you get them to pick some issue, like very mundane issue, like the toilet is not working in the school. It hasn't worked for three years. And, you know, and instead of hoping somebody is going to fix it, you get you encourage them to get together in groups and address these kinds of challenges. Uh, and it's remarkable to see how quickly they gain the sense of agency, the belief that they're not a victim, that they can also... Uh, make some of these decisions and how shocked they are that others with the same pain begin to follow them. Very interesting and, and shows that you're become optimist now in your, in, <laughs> in, when you think about leadership. Indeed. One other concept I found it uh, uncomfortable, although very interesting, is the concept of a portfolio life. And when you all grow up, it's the concept is hey, find your passion early in life and stay with the passion, do what you what you love and you do well. But your view is there could be multiple passions in life. You can have a portfolio of things you go after and you don't have to feel guilty about it. And it's very interesting to see. Can you explain us a little bit more on what you mean by portfolio life? Yeah, look, when you start out in your career, you're trying to make a success of something. It's your job or you started a little venture. And at that time, you know, focus, intensity is really important. You don't want to be doing 20 things. You want to be doing one thing really well. That's fairly important. But gradually, by the time you reach midlife in particular, 45, 50, what, you'll reach a point where there is dissatisfaction with just achievement, the achievement treadmill. And you say, well, I'm not enjoying this so much anymore. And so what I encourage at that time is go out and do lots of experiments. Try different things that you think you might be interested in. And usually what will happen is two, three things will become quite promising, quite interesting. Now, here's the thing. When you're doing one thing, let's say you're working at Zinov, you tend to get every all your needs met over there. You come to work, you get a paycheck, you meet a community, you're part of a community of people, some of whom become your close friends. Uh, you're learning new things, you're enjoying tackling new problems and accomplishing things and being rewarded for it. If you're, What is your identity? If somebody meets you at a party, what do you do? Oh, I'm a consultant. I work for Zinnar. So your identity gets uh, derived from your work. Now, when you branch off and you go out to do your own thing, what you will find is there isn't one thing that satisfies all this. 
So you take on some projects because you enjoy it. Okay. It could be painting or music or whatever. You take on other projects because you get some satisfaction of impact, making a difference. You do something else um, and it pays you a little money, which is kind of important for, you know, putting food on the table. So what you will end up with is not one thing that gives you all your needs, but doing four or five things that together give you all your needs. So if you look at my life for the last decade, I love writing, teaching, speaking. I do that. That doesn't pay any bills. Um, So I I was on a few boards and advising a few companies. Now I just do one, which is Hitachi. That takes care of the financial aspect and the connection with the corporate world. And then 70% of my time, I do um, work on, uh, you know, address the tackling big societal problems through game, UNICEF, etc. So it's a nice portfolio of things. And the beautiful thing is, you're much more in control over your time. Very interesting. I think I think the, the role of coaches and mentors also become help uh, portfolio advisors almost in the stock market. Uh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting, interesting concept. And and again, going into another concept in the book, which uh, which is always fascinating, is about geography is uh, destiny, and we are living in a world which is, especially in tech world, people are working remote, right? Um, in forty percent of talent working in Bangalore have moved back to their small towns and villages, and same in the U.S. and Silicon Valley and so on. So the question is: Is it still true? Uh, geography destiny is still true? Or as we move into a metaverse, um, you know, it, it's going to be different. We are going to be connected in different ways. Look, um, it's a question that's very much being debated up in the air and people are voting with their feet. Um, but my view is, um, unlike what Tom Friedman said, uh, you know, 15 years ago, he said geography is history. Uh, I actually think geography is destiny. Um And the reason for saying this is I've come to the belief that values of a society determine a lot of, you know, whether a place flourishes or not, whether it is harmonious or not. And in particular, there are values which the Nobel Prize winning economist Ned Phelps calls modern values. So, for instance, in Bangalore, the city where we live. We don't care whether a person is Hindu or Muslim, upper caste, lower caste, male, female, went to the right school or didn't go to the right school. We don't care about all this when it comes to looking at what are they capable of? Are they capable of doing a startup? Are they capable of inventing, tinkering, innovating? We don't care. We're just blind to these things. What matters is talent. And now that is not the case in many other towns, cities, etc., I think this may be the biggest reason why there is a flourishing of innovation and entrepreneurship in places like Bangalore. And therefore, I think this explains to a very large extent why economic activity all over the world is concentrated. It's concentrated in certain geographies, in certain cities, etc. I I think it's perfectly fine to say, look, I want to also be remote and live in a place where the air is clean and that life is less pressured. And in any case, there's the Internet. But you, you will find that humans are social creatures and therefore there is no escaping this. And you will need over time to plug into these communities, these dense economic opportunity zones. 
Um, and you can, of course, choose to straddle both. But I, I, I do think that because of the values argument, Bari, it's going to continue to be more concentrated. I also think that as the world becomes more polarized and divided on the basis of ideas, you will have a lot more strife of different sorts. Uh, and it can be communal conflict. It can be conflict over ideas like you have between Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. or whatever. And it was not inconceivable that the city where you live can suddenly be seized in violence. And so the biggest determinant of that is, again, societal values. These days, there's a very real conversation going on about what is the probability that the U.S. will have a civil war again by 2050? I mean, this is a real thing. Uh, equally, there is a real uh, discussion about genocide in India before in the next five years. Where is it most likely to happen? It looks like it will most likely happen in a state like Uttar Pradesh, which is divided around all these lines. So I just encourage people to not dismiss these ideas but think about them. I'm no, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I just think these ideas are worth thinking about and you draw your own conclusions. So the, the, the clear linkage between the value system of a society and the economic superiority of that location over a period of time and people have to put themselves in those locations by definition will do well uh, because of uh, the reason you mentioned. That's, That's very right. interesting. And the final question I have for you, Ravi, is the book is largely written for leaders, people who have accomplished a certain level of things in their life. But I'm also starting to see, even within Zinao, there are a lot of people, young people are picking up the book and reading. And so what do you think could be a key takeaways for younger generation, the folks who are just joining the uh, workforce? The key takeaway, I would say, is, look, the 21st century is going to be a period of just incredible change. It'll, the world will change more in this 100 years than all of human history. That's both good news and bad news. It's going to throw up extraordinary possibilities, but also extraordinary challenges. But if you have the right mindset and the right skills and approach it with the sense of an explorer or adventurer, you know, there's never been a better time to be alive. Um, but you have to be very intentional about these choices that you make. Equally, if you don't adapt and you're saying, why is all this happening and when, are you, when am I going to be rescued? I think life is going to be very tough. What is different about this century versus our times, buddy, is that the middle ground is shrinking. You're either going to do exceptionally well or you're going to find it exceptionally hard. And the book is written to nudge more people towards a good outcome. I'm thrilled that more young people, uh, particularly in Zinov, are reading it. I hope many more of our listeners choose to pick up the book and um, uh, think about what fits and what applies. Uh, thanks, Ravi. Thanks for writing this book. I know it would have taken you years to put this together, <laughs> uh, but it was fascinating. This book I've read so far this year, and I'm hoping that everybody in my team reads it and uh, and it becomes a, a cultural phenomenon for folks to think about the life going forward. And you, we talked about great concepts, um, leadership. I like the concept around optimism and, and, the, and the societal value and putting yourself, align yourself to the, the value system you, you fit in and that will drive your career forward. 
thanks for the great insights and um and hopefully we will we will talk about your next book we don't have to wait for a few more years probably sooner thank you thanks pari you've always been a great friend and supporter appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of the business resilience series stay tuned for more such interesting episodes you can listen to our podcast on apple podcast google podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast from To know more about Zenove, visit our website www.zenove.com or drop us a note at info@zenove.com. Follow us on Twitter at @zenove for regular updates on our content. Thank you again for listening to the Business Resilience series of the Zenove podcast.